Amen. Thank you, Taylor. Um, man, we have a lot to get through today. I'm just going to be honest with you right up front. Uh, they don't even have the timer up there today because they're just like, this is going to take forever, so why even time it? We have a ton to get through. I'm, they give me three chapters in Revelation to go over. So since we have a ton of stuff to get through, let's play a game. I mean, come on. Let's just, let's just play a game. Um, I, I need a couple of volunteers. I haven't planted. Now we're talking. First service was like, nope. I literally had to just point to some people and say, okay, now here, you, if your hand's raised, this is the caveat. You have to want to win. Because otherwise this is super boring. Okay, so I'm going to go somebody over here, somebody over here, and somebody over here. Okay? So is that Corey? No, it's not. No, sorry. Who's sitting right in front of Liv? Yes. There we go. Yeah, come on up. You're good. Okay. Uh, right here. Yep, right here. And then I need somebody over here. Okay, red shirt. You have a red shirt. Yes. There we go. Now we're talking. Okay, come right over here. Stand right over here. Okay. <laughs> okay, now here's, here is the, the, the game. We're going to call this... Yeah, introduce yourselves because you're going to be uh, pushing each other out of the way in a minute. Okay, um, this is called tool and goal, okay? So here, here's how we play it. Underneath this black sheet, there's a bunch of tools, like items, and each of the items accomplish a goal, okay? Does that make sense? Your hair looks awesome, by the way, right here. That's wonderful. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand here and I'm going to say a goal, and whenever you hear the goal, then your job is to run over here and place your hand on the item that accomplishes the goal. Do not pick it up, because some of them are sharp and it could hurt people, okay? Kind of, I'm kidding, not really. Um, so what I want you to do is I'll say the goal, then I have to say go, then you run over, put your hand on it, whoever puts their hand on it first, then comes the final phase, this is big. It's the interview portion. I will ask you a question, and this is the question. How does that tool accomplish that goal? If you cannot answer the question, get off the stage. That makes sense? You're done. If you answer the question, you get a point. Sound good? Are we ready? So it's kind of like musical chairs, just a lot, lot more dangerous. Are we ready? Okay, so let's, let's line up here. That way nobody gets a head start. We don't want to cheat. We don't want, is that a paper clip, or what is this? It's a clothespin. Delightful. Okay. I don't even claim to know the new fashions. Okay, oh, Vanna is gone, so I'm going to use my hair and claim to be Vanna and open up the items. Okay, are we ready? Here is the goal. Drive to New York. Go. Ooh, red shirt. What's your name? Natasha. Natasha. Okay, why don't you turn around and face the wonderful audience? Okay, now hold up. You're allowed to pick it up. Good job, though, following the rules. That was well done. What did you choose? Car keys. Why would you choose car keys to hit the goal of drive to New York? Because um, you have to be able to turn on the car. That's, that's well said. You have to be able to turn on the car. That's what she said. Okay, point. Everybody go back. Y'all got to gotta get a little faster. Let's do this. So, yeah, yeah. Cheer for your... Okay. That's why I picked a college student right here. This is it. Okay. They're literally taunting him. That's awesome. Okay, here's the next goal. The next goal is... Brush my illustrious hair. Go. Oh, he cheated. <laughs> you broke the rule. You can't pick it up. It's okay. And what's your name, sir? Uh, Damon. Damon cheated. Uh, okay, here's your question. Why does that 
act, that tool match the goal? Because you need a brush to brush, and it was my illustrious hair, but it's okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. Everybody, come back over one more time. You got to get this one, man. That that clothespin's slowing you down, bro. Okay. Are we ready? Here's the goal. You got to wait till I say go. Wag or <laughs> wag. Walk the dog. Go. Okay. No. Wait a minute. What's happening? What's going on? What's, what's happening? Somebody speak to me. There's no leash. What's the problem? There's no leash. There's no leash? So what's the issue then? We don't have anything to walk the dog. You don't have the tool to accomplish the goal, right? Okay, well done. You all win. Each of you get a point. Talk to Josh Quaddy for your prize. <laughs> okay. Hey, yeah, give him a round of applause. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Now, now, some of you right now are asking this question. You're saying, what in the world are we playing these silly games when it's not even family Sunday? I mean, come on, Shane. What do you think you are? Sigh? Like, get to the point. Okay, let me explain my point. The tool matters, but so does the goal. That, that's the simple principle from this overly elaborate game. The tool matters, but so does the goal. That's actually the principle that's not just in this game. That's the principle that's in our text for this morning, Revelation chapters 12 through 14. The tool matters, but so does the goal, because here's the reason why. This is the reason why that principle is so important. If you know the goal, walk the dog, but you don't have the right tool, then you're stuck in despair. What are you going to do? But, but, if you have the tool but you don't know the goal, you're stuck in chaos. You have the tool and you're just swinging it around hoping that you're gonna hit a target. Listen, if you have the tool and you're swinging it around but you know what the goal is, you'll hit something but very rarely is it the target. The tool matters but so does the goal because whenever you have both the tool and the goal, incredible things can happen. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 is a, uh, it's actually a familiar scene, but told very strangely. Uh, it begins in verse one with this. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Now, whenever it comes to the book of Revelation, sometimes it's, it's good to just pause and say simple things about the text because it can get so overwhelming when you're looking at all these metaphors and all these images. So let me just say something simple after those two verses. The main character at the beginning of chapter 12 is the woman. Like, let's just, let's just make sure that we're all on the same page. The main character is the woman. Now the question becomes, who is the woman? That's a fair question, right? You're only gonna be able to answer that question if you know who the child is that she's about to give birth to. Go down to verse five. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Who's her kid? How do you know? <laughs> yeah. If you could talk, and it was in a sermon, you know, uh, you would say, well, Shane, it's because that comes from Psalm chapter two, which is a messianic Psalm, and we as Christians believe the Messiah is Jesus. Isn't that what you were gonna say? Yeah, he will rule the nations with an iron scepter. 
So if the child that is born is Jesus, then on some level, who is the woman? Mary. Mary. We're in Bethlehem. We're going to talk about Christmas on the month that contains Halloween, which once you, verse, once you read verse 3, you're like, actually, that kind of makes sense. Um, look at verse 3. Here comes another, another character. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. That's a little surprising. You know what I mean? You ever been to a Christmas program with that on stage? Like picture... Picture how the parents are talking about that moment. You know, like, hey, my, my kid's the donkey on the left side. Who's your kid? Oh, my kid's baby Jesus. Who's your kid? My kid's the dragon that's going to try to eat your kid. Like, that's my, that's who it is. Because we're in Bethlehem. But what happens in the book of Revelation is that there is something he's trying to do besides just mess up your nativity scenes. He is trying to reveal the goal by revealing who the enemy is. And so let me just say it very simply, the enemy is the dragon. Okay, the enemy is the dragon. In verse five, the dragon attempts to devour the child, but the child is is protected. Then in verse six, the dragon tries to kill the woman. The woman is protected. Then in verse seven, the dragon's like, you know what, forget this. I'm going after the one on the throne. So verse seven, it says this, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. And then comes the conclusion of the battle in verse 9. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now, now why, why did John do that? Why in the middle of that verse does he say, the great dragon was hurled down? In case you didn't know, it's the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. Why is he stating, restating, stating again and one more time for good measure who it is that's hurled down? Because John's goal is to reveal to us who the enemy is. And this is what Revelation 12 is saying. We are in a war And the dragon is our enemy. Satan is our enemy. The ancient serpent called the devil who leads the whole world astray is our enemy. And that is something, Christians, we cannot forget. Ever. At any moment. We cannot forget who the enemy is. 16 years ago, my wife made a major mistake. No, no, we were married 17 years ago, so don't go there, okay? She made a big mistake, though, because it was our first Christmas together, and uh, we're, we're getting all of our hand-me-down decorations, because whenever you're, you're married, you know, you're just kind of like, oh, I'm not going to spend money on decorations. Like, Mom, Dad, what do you have? And so we get all these hand-me-down decorations, and we're loving it, though. We're decorating the house, have the Christmas music going. And my wife made a mistake, and she said, hey, Shane, hey, do you mind uh, putting up our nativity scene? Happy to. We got this awesome nativity scene as a wedding gift. I mean, they're like life-size. They're huge. Like, baby Jesus is almost like, you know, baby Jesus. Like, it's, it's awesome. So I clear off our whole top of our piano, and I'm putting up all of the statues. I'm, I'm working really hard. Like, I'm wanting to make sure that the shepherd is actually looking at the sun as opposed to, like, looking off in the distance. Because, I mean, let's come on. 
if God became flesh and was hanging out in a manger, you'd probably look at him. You know what I mean? So I get it all set up and I'm proud of it. And so I, I'm over at the couch and I'm working on something. My wife walks in from the kitchen and she kind of does one of these, looks over at the piano, smiles, and then she stops. And her smile disappeared and she looked at me and she goes, what is that? I was like, whoa, 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 what is what? <laughs> she goes, that, what is that? I'm like, well, that's baby Jesus. I'm surprised you didn't recognize him. She's like, not Jesus. She gritted her teeth, I promise. And she says, what is that dragon doing in our nativity scene? Uh, you see, for the last 15, 16 Christmases, in our nativity scene, I, I've placed this red dragon. And my initial response was, babe, like it's Revelation 12. And, and of course I did it out of honor to the text. And of course I did it out of honor to my mentor who had been doing it for 20 years before I did it. But I also put it there every year to remind my family of something very important. I do it to remind our family that we are in a war. I know, I know we call those moments silent night, holy night. But Revelation reveals that we are in a war and the dragon is our enemy. And you know what else it also emphasizes? That we are the dragon's target. Verse 17, chapter 12. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Like he failed with the child, he failed at the woman, he failed trying to overthrow the one on the throne, and then he says, fine, I'm going after your kids. Now look at what the rest of that verse says. It's those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. In other words, that's us. He's waging war against us. The dragon is the enemy in this war, and we are his target. So what is his tool? His tool to attack us in this war is worship. He's trying to acquire our worship. He's trying to get us to worship him. Where do I get this? The very next chapter. <laughs> chapter 13. In verse 1, the dragon stands on the seashore, and he calls forth this beast from the sea. And when the beast comes from the sea, listen to what verse 2 says that the dragon gives him. It says, the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. In other words, the dragon gives the beast the tool of sovereignty, complete dominance over every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And that tool is used to acquire our worship. You hear the tool and the goal, to get us to worship him. Where do I get that? Verse two, or verse three. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Do you hear the movement? I have sovereignty. I'm going to use it to get you to worship me. That's what the dragon is doing the tool and the goal. It emphasizes it again in verses seven and eight. You'll see it. Sovereignty leads to acquisition of our worship. The beast from the sea was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. That word for conquer is a very violent term. To conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So what does he do with the authority? Next part of the verse. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Are you hearing the emphasis? 
Like if the Bible emphasizes something multiple times in one little section, it might mean that you should pay attention to it. And the Bible says this in chapter 13, two, three, four times. Sovereignty is used by the dragon, giving it to the beast to acquire your worship. Why? Because in the book of Revelation, worship is war. It is an act of war. It is a tool utilized to fight the war. I mean, it's emphasized again in verse 11. So in verse 11, he's calling forth a second beast. You have the beast from the sea, verse 11, here comes the beast from the earth. And notice the same emphasis. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. Stop right there for a minute. That's always how deception works. 99% of what a deception is, is true. It's that 1% where you can hear the dragon whispering. This beast from the earth comes. It looks like a lamb, but it speaks like a dragon. Then notice the pattern. It exercised all of the authority of the first beast on its behalf. And then notice what its goal is. It made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. The dragon is using his tools, violence, threats, deception, beast one, beast two, to acquire our worship. Why? Because in the book of Revelation, worship is war. It is an act of war. It is how the war is fought. Why? Because who you worship, you become. Who you worship, you become. If Satan can acquire your worship, don't be surprised if you start looking a lot like the dragon, speaking like the dragon, acting like the dragon, fighting the war like a dragon. You see, his goal is to acquire our worship because worship is war because who you worship, you become. Are you, is this making sense so far? Because it's about to get crazy. Verses 17 and 18 are exhausting. They, they genuinely wear me out. Why? It's the mark of the beast. It's 666. And oh my goodness, people freak out over these two verses. People quit their jobs over these two verses. And people, everybody, everybody has an opinion about what the mark of the beast is. Is it a microchip they're going to implant in my hand? And oh my goodness, is it the World Wide Web? Or oh my goodness, is it, is it MacBooks? I mean, there's a half-eaten apple on it. Adam and Eve, anyone? Like, what's the mark of the beast? <laughs> let, let, let me simplify it and bore you with my answer. Because my answer is just not that interesting. Like what I'm about to tell you, what, what I think the mark of the beast is, what I think 666 is, will never sell me books. Nicolas Cage would never star in this movie. So you ready? Verse 17 gives us a clue as to what 666 is. We just overlook it. Verse 17, listen to what it says. So that they can neither buy nor sell unless they had the mark. Listen. Which is the name of the beast. Did you hear the clue? Or the number of its name. He repeats himself. You hear the clue? It's the same clue we get in Revelation 15 verse 2. Just a chapter, chapter and a half later. 
It says, and I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast in its image and over the number of its name. Did you catch the clue? (laughs) What's the mark of the beast? Well, it's a name. Whose name? The beast's name. What's the beast's name? You ready? Beast. Where do I get that? That's the only name used for the beast in the text is beast. So now let me do something to help you understand how it makes sense with 666. That was very familiar for the Jews, but very unfamiliar to us. Jews did this stuff all the time. If you take the Greek word for beast, therion, and you transliterate it into Hebrew, and each Hebrew letter has a number attached to it. And if you add up all the letters to therion, guess what it equals? 666. It's not that difficult. As a matter of fact, the very next verse, chapter 14, verse 1, points us in this exact same direction. Listen to this. It says, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name, catch that, and his father's name written on their foreheads. Sound familiar? (laughs) If you take the, uh, the Greek word for lamb, arneon, and the nomina sacra for the name God Theos, and you put those into Hebrew and add it up, guess what? It equals 777. So what's happening? What am I saying? This is what I'm saying. Worship is war. That's what I'm saying. Worship is war because who you worship, you become. Your worship defines you, pervades you, transforms you, all of you, even down to what you buy and sell. Your worship dictates. What chapter 13, verses 17 through 18 are saying is this. Who you worship should be as clear as if it is emblazoned on your head. Where everywhere you walk and everywhere you go, it's obvious who you are, who you belong to, who you worship. And the options are clear. The lamb or the dragon. God or the ancient serpent. Is this making sense so far? We're building something, we're going somewhere, and it's about to get a little bit wilder. Are you excited about this? This is Revelation. Revelation, the moment you're like, wow, that was crazy, Revelation's like, you haven't seen anything yet. It's about to get even crazier. In this war, worship is the tool. So now here's the question. Well, then what's the goal? (laughs) Like, if, if worship is the tool, then what is the goal? We need to know that. Because as we looked at in our game... The tool matters, but so does the goal. Because if you know the goal, but don't have the right tool, you're stuck in despair. What do we do? But if you have the tool and don't know the goal, you're stuck in chaos. So what's the goal? You ready for it? Slay the dragon. That's the goal. Destroy the ancient serpent. Storm the gates of hell. What is the goal? Slay the dragon. How is that possible? By becoming like Christ, the one that you worship. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. 12, verse 10, sings the answer. Remember, Sai talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That if you have a song or a hymn in the book of Revelation, pay attention to it. It's an interpretive key. Chapter 12, verse 10, right after Satan is kicked out of heaven, right after he's lost the battle, listen to verse 10. Now have come 
the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Now listen to verse 11 because this is where the hymn climaxes. This is the center of the song. They triumphed over the dragon. They overcame the dragon. They slayed the dragon by the blood of the lamb. Does that surprise you? They overcame the dragon by the cross of Jesus. Is anybody like, what? But what surprises me is I would think that that would then end in a period. But there's an end. They overcame the dragon by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Like, like if, if the goal is to destroy the dragon, then the tool is clear, the cross of Christ. The sacrificial love of Jesus on the cross. But the book of Revelation says, yes, and the choice of his followers to be the same. To actually live their lives in the shape of the cross. To be willing to lay down their lives the way that Christ did. Why? Because who you worship, you become. Who you worship, you become. And let's not forget, worship is war. And this war is against the dragon who can only be defeated by the sacrificial love of Jesus on the cross. This is why in the midst of chapter 13, two verses are like bombs that are dropped into the text. It's actually these two verses, the reason why I didn't want to preach this. Like if I'm being totally honest, I actually tried to find a way to not read these two verses in this sermon. Because these, these verses are brutal, they're terrifying. Chapter 13, verse 9 says this. Whoever has ears, let them hear. That, that's biblical language for this. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. That's what it says. If anyone is to go into captivity, if anyone comes to take you into captivity, into captivity you go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword you're to be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. I'm, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> That's ridiculous. That is absolutely absurd. How is that victory? How is that winning? I mean, how is that going to win a war? I mean, I guess, I guess it depends on what your goal is. Because if you actually believe that the war is against flesh and blood, then yeah, that's the stupidest thing you could tell someone to do. But if this war isn't against flesh and blood, against something like, I don't know, a dragon, then maybe it starts to make a little more sense. I mean, let's not forget the dragon, the, the, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan or, or the, who leads the whole world astray, he was defeated by the blood of the lamb, amen? And by the followers of Jesus willing to be shaped in the cross with sacrificial love. That's what Revelation 12, 11 says, which prepares us for this bomb in Revelation 13, 9, and 10. In other words, Revelation 13, 10 is saying this. Whoever wants to be my disciple 
must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. These are Jesus' words. For whoever wants to save their life, now you'll lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Sacrificial love. Becoming like Christ. Worship as a weapon to destroy the enemy. Here's the problem. The problem is, for many of us in the church today, we've just forgotten who the enemy is. We just, we just can't remember who the enemy is. And so then we lose sight of the goal and we pick up tools that simply don't work. Let, let me make this a little more personal. I believe that many Christians in America today trust their votes more than they trust their worship. They believe that getting the right person in office or the right legislature passed is more effective in this war than how they pray and how they worship. We've just forgotten who the enemy is. I mean, this hit me square in the face in 2012. The day after Obama was elected to his second term, I did something so stupid. I went on Facebook. Why? Why, Why would you do that the day after an election? You know what you're going to find, and guess what I found? Oh, my word. Emotional explosions, accusations, people saying, oh, man, evil won. Other people saying, good, triumphed over evil. It was a cesspool of division, a total mess. But there was one post. There was one post that stuck out to me. It was a Christian woman that I know that none of you probably know. But I still, I, I will summarize her statement just to protect her identity. This is what she said. When I heard the results of the election, I was in complete shock. In fact, she wrote, I cried myself to sleep last night. I, I was so tempted to respond on Facebook, which is stupid. It helps nothing ever. I've never heard of anybody go, I was converted by a Facebook response. It was amazing. <laughs> Thank God they wrote that to me. But man, what I really wanted to do was to write her a couple questions. Questions like this. When was the last time you cried yourself to sleep over children caught in sex trafficking? Or when was the last time that you cried yourself to sleep over the racism that is destroying this country? When is the last time you cried yourself to sleep over the lost souls that don't know Jesus that are dying every day? Because here's the reality. After that election, God was still on the throne and the dragon was still looking to devour us. We've just forgotten who the enemy is. We've simply lost sight of the goal. Now, now hear me very clearly. Hear me very clearly. I am not saying disengage with culture or politics. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, no, engage it by knowing who the true enemy is when you're engaging it. Because too often, 
We think that the enemy is the person that disagrees. It's not true. And therefore, you pick up weapons and you use them in order to accomplish a goal that doesn't affect Satan's agenda at all. He keeps advancing. Why? Because the tools don't match the goal. Because we've forgotten who the enemy is. You see, there are two ways to eradicate an enemy that is flesh and blood. There are two ways to eradicate an enemy that are flesh and blood. Number one, you can annihilate them. Or number two, you can convert them. But I'll be honest with you, if, if I'm looking at social media or even the public media, it seems that Christians' goal is to annihilate their flesh and blood enemies with their words, with their boycotts, with their posts, with their arguments, believing the goal is to win the argument. Believing that the goal is to win the election or to win the culture war so that the laws of the land match our convictions and our opinions. Let me be honest. Even if the law of the land matched what you desired, Satan's kingdom would still be marching. You've forgotten who the enemy is. The tool doesn't match the goal. Ah, oh, but when you convert someone to Jesus Christ... Whenever somebody transitions from lost to found, from darkness to light, yeah, the angels in heaven, they worship. But the fallen angels of the dragon, they tremble. We've just forgotten who the enemy is. We've forgotten the goal. And so we are drowning in chaos where our allegiance is determined by a donkey and an elephant instead of the slain lamb. But when we remember who the enemy is, the dragon, and we remember the tool of the cross is what truly attacks the dragon, sacrificial love, when we pull those two together, the world is stunned. The world is, is silenced by the power of that moment. Over the past couple of weeks, I don't know if you've noticed, but the headlines have been dominated by the trial of Amber Geiger. And if those of you are going, I, I don't even know what that is, let, let me describe to you what it is. An, an, an off-duty police officer who, who came home after a long shift was texting with her boyfriend when she walked into her apartment only to find a man in her living room. And immediately, she, she drew her weapon, and as the man approached her yelling, hey, 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 she shot Botham Jean two times in the chest, killing him on sight. There's a couple of details I left out of that. Number one, the woman was white. Number two, the man she shot was black. Oh, and number three, it wasn't her apartment. It was his apartment. She was on the wrong floor, entered the wrong apartment, and shot the man dead in his own living room. The racial tension that already exists in this country 
especially the tension felt by some in the black community toward law enforcement, meant that this case, like others, it was a powder keg ready to explode, ready to divide, ready to deepen the racial division that is ripping us in two. I mean, it was primed and ready to advance the kingdom of Satan. Until the sentencing hearing. You see, Amber Geiger was found guilty. And she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. And as is the custom in our court system, the family had an opportunity to speak at the hearing. Facing the person that killed their family member, they're able to speak to them. This is usually a moment where the grief is palpable where the pleading for the most severe sentence is powerful. And we did have that from some of the people that spoke in the sentencing. But then Botham Jean's 18-year-old brother, Brant, spoke. And he used his statement as a tool for a different goal. He used it as a tool to target the true enemy in the courtroom. Watch his testimony. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I I, I personally want the best for you. And I I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please. Yes. Now let me be very clear. This moment 
did not declare Amber Geiger and other people who have done similarly innocent. Let me be very clear. This unbelievable moment didn't even cure our country's racism. We still have a problem. And the church should be the one that is leading the healing that is causing this racial division. We should be creating the conversations. We should be the ones that are reminding everyone on every side who the true enemy is. The dragon who relishes in racism, who delights in division, and he was looking to destroy every tribe, people, and nation. This moment does not cure our country's racism. But it does remind us who the enemy is. Just, just for a second, just for a second. Put yourself in Brant John's seat. Shut out all the outside noise. Shut out all of the racial arguments. Shut out all of that. Put yourself in his seat on that stand where he is sitting in the courtroom looking into the eyes of the person that killed his big brother. His big brother who walked him to school, who protected him from bullies, who taught him how to dance. Put yourself in his seat for just a minute. Listen, his goal wasn't to cure the hundreds of years of racism in this country or to even make up for dozens of cases of racism that ravage our headlines every day. He makes his goal clear. He was not even speaking on behalf of his family. His goal was not even to speak on behalf of the black community. His goal was to speak as a Christian fighting a war against an enraged dragon regardless of what some may say. This moment wasn't flippant for Brant Jean. Yeah, we've been living with the court case for a month. He's been living with the death of his brother for over a year. This didn't happen on a whim. This moment was birthed through great pain. This moment was birthed through tears, through toil. This moment was birthed with wrestling with the gospel and answering this question, who is the enemy? It's not her. It's not the police officers. It's not the protesters. It's the dragon. And if you want to slay the dragon... You better make sure that your tool matches the goal. 